I should recommend a couple things for you guys if you're staying on the couch through the <laughs> New Year's. Um, there's a free uh, streaming service that's just dedicated to films about our planet or human interest things that might be interesting to people. If you've never heard of Water Bear, it uh, has a multitude of programs from like full-length documentaries, nature films, to just little short, low-budget things that are, that are pretty cool and find some inspiring films in there. And then um, the only other thing I watched that might be of interest just to the camera technology people would be this new uh movie that it just came out on streaming on hulu called the creator and it's a sci-fi movie so it has nothing to do with wildlife or cinema or anything but i just liked it because this the film's pretty good i wouldn't say it's uh, amazing but i did enjoy the story and it's all shot on the sony fx3 so it's like a 3500 dollar camera and more interesting is kind of the stories of why they chose to use it and why it was a benefit to them to go with something small like that. They, the film is about AI and they jump all over the planet and shoot in all these exotic locations. So the director was um, Gareth Edwards and he likes to actually have the camera in hand a lot, I think too. And so he wanted a really small portable camera system that they could travel all over the world and have, you know, a very limited crew it's an $80 million budget, but they used a lot of that in like visual effects and, and stuff. And then they were just talking about the technicalities of a camera. So if you are interested in um, maybe just understanding a little bit more about video and it's an interesting conversation of them talking about how they tried to develop the look for the film and they bought some like cheap LUT packs online to try and just go out and shoot test footage. And then they realized that these LUTs that they were buying were absolutely horrendous when they took them to a professional editor because they're like, oh, this just destroys this film or the, you know, the footage that they had. So they spent, you know, uh, who knows, ten, twenty thousand dollars $20,000 just on someone to develop a LUT for their film. But yeah, it's kind of a, an interesting thing to see. So like it oh. gets back to the like that movie, right? Just shows how important stories are. Yeah. You know, it doesn't matter what camera you're using it's all about story and so i mean that just drives it home i think if you got footage that is not awesome as long as the story's good people are gonna stay tuned it's like that old um that old analogy it's not an analogy but that old um what would you call it well like let me just idiom? say it and you can tell what it is they did a an experiment with really good video and really crappy audio yeah and they and then they had another version of the same thing with really good audio and you know kind of substandard video and they wanted to see what the audience would gravitate to more people like the good audio with the crappy video than the good video with crappy audio so it just goes to show you how important it is and it's not always about the camera or always about what you're seeing you know that audio and the story becomes so important so many times so well, and that's a good segue into what we're going to do today, right? Yeah. So we thought it would be interesting to hear some of the stories. Well, let me back up. So when I met Michael, he we would go back and forth and he'd tell me these stories. And he showed me this picture one time. And it just brings on so many questions for me. And so then we got to talking about it and he had more pictures about it. 
And then as you see these pictures, you just get more and more questions. So we thought it would be interesting to tell the entire story here on the podcast. We're going to call it a story behind the image. And so we're going to try this. Let us know what you all think. If it's something that you like, we'll continue to try and find these out. These are harder to put together because there's not a story behind every image. <laughs> and so <laughs> we'll, we'll do what we can. These are going to be fewer in frequency, I think. Is there anything you want to say before we get started on this, Michael? Yeah, two things. I think the image, an image like this is what I consider a lifer, right? So I think in your life, you're going to get what, five, 10 images that are, that you become known for, or they're just those images that are probably never happen again. And I think in my career, now I stopped shooting stills several years ago, so I've been in situations where I was wishing I would have got a still of what I just saw, but I just, you know, you just don't, you get it, but it's on video, right? But up until when I stopped, I probably have six or seven images that I would consider life images. And this is one of them, the one we're going to show today. And it's just quite the story. And it's just amazing how it all went down. Now, the other thing that I wanted to say about it is it's not, I would call this PG-13, PG-16, PG-17. I don't know. It's it's nature, so it's not terrible, and it goes on all the time. But if you're going to stay tuned, just be prepared that it's going to be nature. It's It's not terrible, but it's life and death, and it's survival, and it's just what goes on. Well, and it's a predator. So like the thing to keep in the back of your mind when he's telling this story, every time a predator eats or doesn't eat, they have to go through this every single time. And it's incredible to think, imagine you had to live your life this way and every time you ate, you had to go through some... (laughs) event like this it's nuts so keep that in the back of your mind um as he tells the story uh so why don't you set the scene for us michael well while i'm setting the scene i'm going to put up this image and it's just such an unusual image this happened in denali national park and back in the day in denali so let's say from the 90s the early 2000s or maybe all the way through 2010 i can't remember how long this this program lasted but there was this photography permit program that Denali National Park had. And I was always told that it was created for photographers to promote Denali, to get more visitation to Denali. Now they don't do it. So this program no longer exists. But the pro photo permit program in Denali was something that was super cool. The only way you can get into Denali National Park nowadays, or even back then as a regular visitor, so there's 15 miles into the park that is paved and any car can drive that. But the road into Denali is 90 miles long. So if you want to go from mile 15 to mile 90, you had to get on a bus. You can fly into Kentishna and you can do some other stuff too, but it's pretty much you're going to be on a bus to get into the park. Denali National Park is an international biosphere, which limits the amount of road traffic that they wanted on that road. So it just stayed as natural as possible forever. If you think about it as a photographer, it's really hard to get images when you're with 30 other people on a bus or 40 other people on a bus. 
and those buses run pretty much, you know, throughout the day. So you may not be there for the pretty light, or you may not be there for those times when you really need to be there as a photographer to, to capture a certain thing. So they had this photography permit program. You had to be a professional. You had to have so many publications in magazines that had 500,000 circulation or more. I think it was five. So five images within the last calendar year published in a magazine with a half a million um, circulation. And then I think you had to have 20 or 25 additional publications beyond that to qualify for the permit. And then once you qualified, then it was a lottery to get your dates. Now, everybody went for the fall dates, right? Because it's so pretty in Denali and you get all the fall colors and it's just beautiful. But they only gave out 10 permits a day. And they would only have, I think it was five. It was either five or 10 photography permits every day. So there was only five slots for that prime time that might be three weeks, the last week in August, the first two weeks in September. Um, so it was just like this coveted thing. And I learned about it way early on, probably in the 90s. And I applied for it in the 90s. But, you know, I was a newbie. I didn't know what I was doing and I got it. But my dates at that time were right in the middle of like July, which isn't great. I mean, the park is still cool and it's, you can see some amazing stuff, but there's not a lot of like mating behavior going on. You will see bears, but you know, they're, they're spread they're out. Eating. Everything's yeah. green. Yeah. It's nothing, nothing crazy. You always want to be there in the fall if you could. So anyway, that's how we got into the park and that's how I was able to get this image. The story behind this image is pretty easy to tell. It's kind of leading up to the image as to the best way to do it. Yeah, um, maybe just set the scene, the the time frame, what you guys were doing, how it started. So I looked on the metadata from these images, and it was 9504. So these pictures were taken in 2004. And 95 meant that we had a pretty darn good permit. Now, one of the cheat codes on this permit, and I figured it out, and the beautiful thing was is I figured it out because I started shooting video, was they had a photographer, a pro photo permit, but they also had a pro video permit. <laughs> well, back in 2004, there weren't that many people shooting video. Right. And somehow, somewhere along the way, I figured out with the public information officer at Denali, she's like, well, she knew I was working on some film projects. And I had also been a guide for a French film crew. And so I learned a lot more then too that I didn't even know because I was going in with this film crew as like a guide for them. Cause I knew so much about the park and that's where I was like, Oh, there's a little cheat code here. <laughs> if you shot video, you could get any dates you wanted. And those five or 10 permits they gave out, the video was not part of that. So I could be an additional one. And since nobody was shooting video, I got it every time. So there were several years where I got fall dates and I didn't tell anybody. Yeah. <laughs> But most of the people I was shooting with were 100% still, so they would have never been able to do it anyway. But that was the cheat code to get whatever date you wanted. So I'll throw up a picture here. Back in those days, so I'm shooting the Canon XL1, which was, I would say it's probably one of the first cameras that had interchangeable lenses, other than the fancy Hollywood cameras. So on a, on a budget that I could actually afford, so I could run my EOS Canon lenses on a 
a um, video camera. And then back then, these digital cameras didn't shoot video. Digital DSLRs didn't shoot video. So I would always go out with two systems. I'd have two tripods. I'd have two cameras. I had a 504 and a 3028, and that's what I would run on these two cameras. So there's one picture that I have of those days. Somebody must have taken it, and I got it somehow. And it's really crappy because I think it's just a scan of a, of a slide because a lot of the photographers were still shooting slide film back in 2004. Wow. So I'm running two cameras at this particular event, which was actually kind of cool. So what happened with this deal is, gosh, there's so much. So back then, too, you had all the bus drivers, right? So I told you, everybody, to get into Denali National Park, you had to be on a bus. Well, back in those days, there was like a relationship with the bus drivers and the photographers. So if I saw something, you know, a bus is coming towards me and I'm going to pass a bus. If I had just seen a doll sheep or if I had just seen a wolf or if I had just seen a moose or whatever, we had all these little hand signals. You know, this is moose. This was wolf. This was bear. So I could just give them a hand signal and I would point and then I might say two, like two clicks back or two miles back on the, and then I would point to whatever side. So we didn't even have to stop and talk to them. Just in passing a bus, I could transfer all this information. And there was this cool relationship with the bus drivers and the photographers. So that is how I found out about this event because we had this cool relationship. As that whole permit program um, matured, there started to be a lot of animosity between the photographers and the bus drivers because the bus drivers, you'd be out photographing something and the bus drivers would pull up right in front of you because they want all their visitors to see, to be able to see what we're photographing. So then the photographers would get all mad at the bus drivers. And then the bus drivers, I think there was some jealousy because we're out there on this permit that gives us access Free to range. wherever we want, whenever we want. And they're stuck on a bus. So over the course of time, this whole thing got to be really bad, so much so that the bus drivers just called in photographers right and left. And and there was probably a certain amount of them that were doing things that shouldn't have been done as far as being too close to wildlife or whatever the situation might be. But I think a lot of it was, you know, unfounded, and it was just that whole jealousy thing. Now, that is all my perception. I don't know for a fact what was going on, but all that being said, I just say that because back then in 2004, it was still a pretty good relationship. We would stay at a uh, campground in Denali called Teklanika, which is 30 miles in. And anybody can stay in Teklanika. So Teklanika is a campground where you have to stay for a, is it a three night minimum, Eric, yeah. I think. Yeah, three nights. So you have to commit to staying there for three nights, which limits the amount of road traffic, right? So you can pull your RV in. That gives anybody the chance to drive that 30 miles, which is kind of cool because now you've extended that 15 that anybody can drive to 30. But you only get one trip in and one trip out. And you don't have to stay all three days. You can stay for one night and say, I'm out of here. And you can drive back out the very next day, but you're still going to pay for those three nights. So we would always set up our base camp at Teklanika and then uh, work out at Teklanika to get to the rest of the park. Cause that gave us 30 miles in. And most of the time we were going past tech and we were going to go through Sable pass. We were going to go over polychrome pass. We were going to drive through the Toklat river basin there. And then we would go on out to wonder Lake and Isleson and all the cool 
spots. But tech was a great place to have your base camp. And the goal was these permits would last anywhere from 10 to 14 days. And our goal, as we learned about the whole thing, our goal was to stay in the park as long as we could. So we would take gas cans. We would take five-gallon gas cans. And if you could always find a photographer in the campground because we always had five or ten five-gallon gas cans <laughs> chained up to a picnic table. And so um, you would try to limit your drive. You would try to find something as fast as you could and stay on that whatever you were shooting for as long as you could to minimize the amount of gas that you're using driving around that park. Cause you figure if you drive 60 miles a day, one way, and you're coming back, that's 120 miles. You're cranking through fuel mm -hmm. pretty quickly, but you don't want to have to leave the park to go get fuel because you're just going to miss out on this time that you got this coveted permit for, and you just don't want to do it. So all that being said is we would get up really early, leave tech knowing that, there's some good stuff right after tech, but it wasn't always like, you know, our thing was like, let's get out to Wonder Lake. Let's find a bull moose in the middle of, you know, feeding in the lake with the mountain behind it, or let's go find bears up in the tundra up by Isleson or something. So we would just leave in the dark and figure this is September. So it is actually getting dark. We would leave in the dark and then we would head up the road until we found something wherever it was getting light enough to shoot, whenever it was getting light enough to shoot, we would be on something that was kind of cool in that really pretty light. So I say all that because I passed this situation up going out because it was in the dark and I just didn't see it. So this caribou bear thing happened. I don't know the exact distance, but it was probably only eight miles from the campground on the road, but we were driving in the dark and passed it. So we got down the road, we got another probably 20 or 30 miles and we're filming this bear next to the road in the snow, a bus driver comes pulling up. So this is where all the bus drivers come. This <laughs> part of the story all kind of ties together. So like I said, the relationships between bus drivers and photographers was good at this point. And this, this bus driver saw us out photographing this bear. And this time he didn't give his hand signals or anything. He pulled over, he stopped and he's like, Hey, uh, you guys are missing something that's pretty amazing. You probably ought to get in your car and get back. He told us exactly where it was at. Get back to this location as fast as you can. And he didn't really give us any information other than that. And we're like, Oh my gosh, what's going on? And we knew we'd passed it. So we're like, Oh, is it over? Is it done? Is it what's going on? So we scooted back as fast as we could. And we came up on this caribou kill. And what had happened overnight is this, these wolves had killed a caribou. And um, they were busy feeding on it. And when we got there, that was still going on. So if you look at some of these pictures initially, and like I said, it's going to be a little gory and bloody or whatever, but it's nature. And this is what goes on in Denali all the time. There was, um, I can't remember the number, number of wolves that were there but there was always one or two wolves on the carcass and they were just gorging as much as they could. And then they would leave. And then another wolf would come in. And as you can see from the photos, the two alphas both had collars. There was a black alpha and a white alpha or a gray or light colored alpha. And I think that was the female. She has a collar and it's very visible. The black wolf too has a collar. One of the black wolves, there were several, 
but it has a collar too. But in a lot of the pictures, you can't even see the collar just because of the orientation of what he was, you know, when he would look at us. But what's cool about these images is you can see that the caribou is in the water. There's no gravel. It's just in the water. And these wolves are standing in the water and feeding on it. And what always happens in Denali is once blood is in the water, bears pick up on that, you know, and they can, you know, everybody talks about the sense of smell with a bear. Mm -hmm. It's amazing their ability to pick up on that smell and then just track it down. So I can't even remember, like, again, this is what, 20 years ago. So I can't remember the amount of time it took and who knows, cause I don't even know when this thing actually happened, but we got there, we photographed the wolves, but the wolves are constantly looking cause they know a bear is coming too, right? So they're constantly looking up, trying to check it out, eat, 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 look up, and then go back. And they're probably feeding young. And as it turns out, you'll see some pictures later where there were young. So they were probably gorging, going back to wherever the young were at, regurgitating, feeding the young, coming back and eating. And if you look at some of these pictures, you know, there's a good portion of that carcass that has already been devoured. But the half of it that's in the water is probably still or it, it was lots of meat still left in the water. So all that being said, the wolves brought it down, which I think is mostly the case. Well, I would say that happens more in Denali is the wolves will make the kill and feed on it as fast as they can. And then bears generally come in and take over the kill. And the wolves will challenge the, that's the only thing that I've ever really seen challenge a grizzly bear is a wolf. So in this situation, a uh, sow with cubs shows up and this is, it's like, you know, as a photographer, you're like, Oh my gosh, this is incredible. It's like a gift, right? Anybody have any questions be to this point? Cause I don't want to keep going. I was going to say, is it the same sow that you were shooting in the snow before the bus driver stopped? No, we were like 20 miles away Oh, okay. So at another spot. Yeah. Okay. So we were pretty far away. So this was a completely different, it wasn't uncommon to drive that road in Denali in the best time of year in the fall. And you could see 20 or 30 different grizzly bears. Yeah. And it really just depended on the day. I mean, there's times where you go and never see a bear. Yep. And then there was other times where there's bears everywhere. <laughs> so there's always, you know, you're always going to see a bear, especially if you're there for two or three days, but whether they're a mile out or, you know, 20 yards off the road, you just never know. So this is a completely different bear. Okay. And it's in a pretty berry area. If anybody's familiar with Denali, so you have Teklanika, and then you go through the Igloo Canyon. And once you come out of Igloo, you drive up over this pass that's called Sable Pass. And Sable Pass is like this sanctuary. There's no hiking off-road at Sable. It's I've seen some incredible things on Sable. You, just from the road, there's monster moose, caribou, bears, tons of bears, wolves would be traveling through there. And it's just this pass where wildlife just, it was a corridor. And so you would always have a great chance. And the park service looked at that, like this is a really special spot while you can hike just about wherever you want in Denali. If you've got the desire to do it and you get a backcountry permit, you can do whatever you want. But on Sable, it's off limits to off-road hiking. Which made it kind of cool because then the wildlife there was always like, they just, I think they knew that this was kind of a safe zone too. So right at the base of Sable is a 
is I think it's the North Fork of the Toklat River. And that's where this thing went on. So it's, there's a bridge that crosses the river. Right on the other side of the bridge is a big pullout for buses. So if, you know, because buses can't really put two people, you can't put two buses on the bridge at the same time. Well, you probably could, but they didn't. So if a bus was coming, the buses would pull over in this big pullout. Just so happened that this thing went on right below the pullout. No. So it was like, I mean, you couldn't have had a better situation, right? And then the Park Service was very leery. I mean, anybody that's ever been to Yellowstone and if there's a kill, you know how may wait, it, be, it turns into mayhem, right? <laughs> well, in Denali, it's not so bad that way because people can't, they won't let people out of the bus. They'll stop the buses and then people can look out of the bus and take their pictures, but you're not going to get off that bus. It's just, they don't allow it. And even as a photographer, you know, if it would have been closer to the road or if it would have been on the same eye level as the road or who knows what, they probably wouldn't have let us stay there. But it, with this situation, it was so perfect because the chances of the bear getting to us was very minimal because it was a, a pretty steep incline from where we were shooting to where this kill was at. And there was a park ranger there the whole time that this thing went on. You guys are in he the, was like, on the further end of the park side too, like across the bridge. So you would have like a big yeah, so we're across wall the bridge. behind you. So nothing's going to sneak up behind you. Cause before you get to that yep, bridge, nothing behind be us. Coming out. Yeah. Yep. And the park ranger is looking at all that stuff and he's determined, you know what? This is a pretty safe spot. We're on the road there's a great big pullout. Your vehicles are out of the way. You guys can do whatever you want. You can be out of the vehicle. You can be shooting off tripods. You can, and this is back when everybody still used tripods <laughs> and we would just, we just sat there and this thing went on for, I think it was, it was either a day and a half or two and a half days. You know, you get there and you're like, Oh my God, I got to take as many pictures as possible. So you just shoot, 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 shoot. And then the bear shows up and then shoot, 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 shoot. And you just keep shooting because you just don't know how long this thing's going to go on. And and at the end of the first day when you leave, you're like, you know, it gets dark, so there's no sense in staying there. I kind of did want to stay there, but you can't camp in your – we had a truck camper that we were working out of, so we could have just stayed the night right there in the camper. But that's not allowed in the park. We had to go back to tech to camp. So we did, but we would – you know, limit that to like three or four or five hours and we would head back out. You always come back out and you're like, is it stuck going to be there? Are the bears going to be there? Are the wolves going to be there? What's going to be there? So we get back out, but it was like I say, one and a half days or two and a half days. I can't remember exactly. I guess I could look at these images and just see the dates to know exactly what it was. But so that's just setting the scene. I mean, it was the perfect situation. It was safe. The wildlife was safe. They weren't encumbered by us at all. They were acting normal. They weren't like constantly looking at us, worried about if we were going to try to steal their kill. And then we didn't pre present that threat. So everything was kosher. So the really interesting thing about these images is, like I said, wolves take it down. And that happens more times than not. I've seen that more times than not. I don't know that that, I mean, bears, I'm sure, take down care. Well, I've seen it happen too. Not personally, but I've seen it in films where there's a real famous clip where a grizzly bear goes after a caribou 
in the same exact spot. I don't know when it happened. It was probably in the 90s and it was shot on film and it was in all kinds of documentaries early on. My point is, is bears will take down the caribou too, but more times than not, it's the wolves that are doing the killing and then it's the bears that are just doing the poaching. A couple years prior, I shot a similar thing like this and I'll throw up a picture from that shoot. And this was back in the still days when I was shooting film. So this is a scan from a slide. So the quality is not great, but the wolves had um, hamstrung a moose. Mm -hmm. Inevitably, the wildlife that's being um, pursued always goes to water because that's their little safe spot. And this moose went right to the Teklanika River and would stand in the river. And you guys know how cold this glacier water is. It's just so cold. And this moose was standing out in the water. And it just, over the course of two and a half days, it got so weak that the wolves were able to bring it down. And the same thing happened. The, bear, the bears move in and take it over. And it's just this really cool thing. So anyway, I kind of deviated from the story on this one. <laughs> But the point being that whenever I've seen this has always been around water, always. Mm -hmm. You just find the animals that just run for the, and that happens in Yellowstone too. I've seen it plenty of times where the wolves are chasing the elk and they just run right for the river and they'll stand in the river and it's some sort of protection. So where do I go from here? Where did I leave off? Okay, so you guys show up. We show up. And the, the, the caribou's down, it's in the water. The wolves have been eating on it. And so there's... Half of the rib cage is exposed, and the wolves have been gnawing on it. They've taken all the good stuff out, the easy to get stuff, mm -hmm. and they're kind of picking around. Yep. And then, how long did you guys watch that happen? Yeah, I'm trying to think. I was probably a couple, two or three hours. And then, so you got some good time with wolves then. Yeah. Yeah. Which is super cool, too. I mean, a lot of times you see a fleeting moment with a wolf in Denali. Yeah. I mean, your chances are pretty decent to see a wolf in Denali, but. Whether you're going to be able to photograph that wolf, mm -hmm. it's hard to say. But this was like, you know you're going to be able to get it. But you'll see in some of the images, we have single wolves out on the gravel bar. And whenever you see a single wolf and it's just standing there, that was a situation where the bear had already got there. So then yeah, these wolves are yeah. just sitting there saying, okay, well, we've probably lost this one. But they would stay, and you'd always see a wolf. Even when the bear was on the carcass, the wolves were always there. But that is probably what created the most interesting part of this whole story for me. So the mama bear shows up and you'll see a picture where the carcass is pretty much in the water. There's no gravel that's showing the bears are on it. Mama is very alert. She's watching for the wolves. But like I said, the most interesting thing about this whole shoot is I'm photographing all day long and I see this mama bear. She's constantly digging. She's digging in the river. And I'm like, what is she doing? And I didn't put two and two together. And at the end of the day, you know, it gets dark. We have to leave. But you, you're jonesing to look at your pictures, right? And since it's digital, I can go back to my computer. I can download everything. So I'm downloading and I'm looking and I see all the wolf stuff. And then I see the bear come in. And then I see the bear on the carcass. And I see the bear on the carcass with no gravel, no nothing. But I know that she's been digging this gravel all day. And what happens, you see, you see this progression of this island that she actually builds. She actually digs the gravel and makes this island 
So essentially, she's got the carcass that was never dragged out of the river. She could have dragged it out to the shore, no problem. But she was smart enough to know if she keeps it out in the water, then the wolves are going to be less apt to come out and try to steal it from her or give the cubs any problems. And she created this island that they could all lay on and be out of the water 100%. It was just phenomenal. And I, like I said, I didn't recognize that until that night when I went back and looked at the images. I mean, it's just such a cool thing. It's just nature, right? It's just nature doing its thing. And then they, she's going to stay on that carcass until it's gone or until she gets pushed off. When what's going to push her off? Who knows, you know, but, and for us, we're like, I hope she stays for two weeks because this is like, (laughs) you know, this is like hitting the jackpot or this is like winning the lottery. For sure. But over the course of that period, you get to see some really cool stuff. I mean, you see some images where the, the cubs, you know, they've eaten quite a bit. So then they start playing, they play with each other. They play on the antlers, they climb on the antlers, they hang on the antlers, they sleep on the antlers. There's just so many cool things. There was a shot. There's a couple shots in here that I'll throw up where the mama, she's laying and the cubs are laying, they're all sleeping and she's resting her chin or her snout on the antlers, just checking stuff out. It's just, just an amazing situation. And so the, the image, cause you haven't described the image yet. So what is the image that's going to be the thumbnail for our listeners? So the main image is what happened at the very end. The wolves are still around. She's on the carcass. This, like I said, was a day and a half or two days. They ate pretty much everything. The only thing they hadn't eaten was the head. And, you know, obviously the antlers. What happened was it was, I remember it was in the morning and mama bear gets really nervous. She starts, she's looking at, and more nervous than she was with the wolves. At, At a certain point, she wasn't that nervous with the wolves. When she created that island, she essentially had a moat around her. She was safe from the wolves. They weren't going to give her any problems, and they probably pretty much had given up by that point. The only other thing that was going to get her off was another bear. And it was in the morning, and I looked down the river, and I see this big old male grizzly coming up the river. And she did too. She saw this bear coming, and she's like, oh, no, you don't. And what happened is she grabs the head And there's just one image where she just flings this head up in the air and it's just this caribou head that's swinging through the air and she's got a pop and it's just, it's a pretty epic image because you just can't picture this in real life, right? I mean, it's just this, the eye is open on the caribou, so it almost looks like it's still alive, but obviously (laughs) it's just the head. It's just, but that's what happened as a, as a, a big male grizzly started approaching. She grabbed that, that head and just started flinging it around. And that big male just wasn't stopping. He just kept coming and kept coming. And finally she's like, you know what? I got to get out of here with these cubs. She got out. He shows up. He takes what he can. There's not much left at that point. He take, he hauls a rib cage away, but most of the meat has gone off of that. The Ravens get in there. And then the very last shot we got on the next day when everything was all over is all that's left is the antlers. So he must've ate just about everything. Cause it was late at night mm-hmm. when we left. And the next morning we got there and all you see is antlers. Just an incredible. <laughs> that's cool. An incredible situation. Okay. So you're, you have a stills camera on a tripod. 
in <laughs> yep. a video camera, right? On a tripod. Yep. On a tripod. And then you have a you have a picture in here. There's one slung around the bottom is like a backup, it looks like, and that's another stills camera. I'm thinking see, I can't remember for sure, but I think that was a film camera. So I okay. think, you know, because it digital was so new and everybody, you know, I'm working with all these other pros that are too scared to switch. So I'm thinking, am I a dummy for switching? They're not switching. <laughs> Should I not be switching? So you have this camera, you have the video camera on one, and you got to monitor that, right? So yeah. What What would you like? How did you choose? Like, wh why were you taking stills? Well, stills was time? still how I was making my money. Oh, okay. That, so I go. had to shoot the stills. But the video was, I just had envisioned video being the thing of the future. So I was going all in on video. Yeah. And I got some pretty incredible stuff. If you guys have ever seen the footage on the internet of the grizzly bear with the traffic cone. So I have a, a little sequence of a bear that's picking up a traffic cone laid over on the side of a road. And this bear walks up and then writes the cone, just sets oh, it back yeah, up yeah. and then kind of nudges it over. That I shot with this camera too. So I was making the move into shooting video, but yeah. um, it was hard back then because nobody really wanted it. The only people that bought video back then were, you know, there was the Outdoor Life channel, there was Discovery, there was things like that, and they would buy the footage. But I did, wasn't creating films. I wasn't doing any of that stuff. That was that was for the big dogs. That was for the guys that were out still shooting 16 millimeter film or yeah, 35 okay. millimeter film. Everybody looked at this camera as like, oh, it's just a little toy. But it was my way in. So that's why I was shooting the video um, at that point. And, you know, it it definitely worked. It definitely got me into the biz. And then it probably wasn't too far. I wonder when the red came out. I bet you the red's been out for 10 or 15 years. Did you have the years. first one? I didn't buy the first one. I two? couldn't afford it. I oh, couldn't okay. afford the red then. I had a buddy that had one. But it was like on the the dream list what was the first red you bought was it the raven the first red was probably the red i think they called it the weapon the red weapon oh okay. red epic i remember that yep <clears throat> something like that i don't know huh i don't know i probably have images or i can probably find a date i would say so do you still have the xl one no i don't i don't even okay. know where that thing went <laughs> i don't know if i sold it or if it got it could be in storage. I don't even know. But it was a pretty cool little camera for the time. That is cool. Yeah. It just, um, the thing is with these, these situations, it created that life or image for me. It was um, right place, right time. Everything kind of fell into place. And it's just one of those situations where everything was safe. The park rangers didn't run us off. They didn't, you know, I've had other situations where I saw a dead caribou in the, in the river. And I'm like, one particular time I saw a dead caribou. It was my last day in the park, but it was near the entrance station. It was on the Savage River and there was a dead caribou laying in there. I'm like, I'm supposed to be flying out the next day to come back to Denver <laughs> and I'm ready to change my flights. I'm like, this is going to be another one of these situations. This is going to be awesome. But the park service determined that it was too close to the road and too close to all the traffic. Cause it was on that first 15 miles oh, or right wow. at the end of that first 15 miles, they actually pulled it out and hauled it away because oh, wow. they didn't want to create that they removed it, huh? situation right close to 
all that public people that would, you know, cause it's so hard to control that many people yeah. being out in the park on a permit. All they had to control was us photographers. Cause we were the only ones that were allowed to get out of the, of our vehicles. Everybody else had to stay in the bus. So they had a lot of control over that situation. Man, yeah. that's really cool. <clears throat> I was looking at some so, of the images, if you remember, because there's some shots where the, the head is in the foreground, um, and then some of the shots, it's kind of behind the subjects. So do you think, do you remember, like, were you guys moving around, or did they move the body around that much? She would move it, because we couldn't, we were pretty much stuck yeah. at one angle. You know, okay. if you go too much further <clears throat> up the road, you couldn't get the right angle on it. And a lot of the downside to this whole shoot, if I could have had the perfect, perfect, we would have been right on le eye level. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. But we were raised up, I would say, 40 feet. But it was far enough out. And with a big lens, it's still, it's, yeah, yeah. it's still cool. It still yeah. works. Yeah. But no, we didn't move around very much at all because you just couldn't, you were pretty much stuck right there. Yeah. Right. Next. I wish I had pictures nowadays with all the behind the scenes and all the stuff that we do on social <laughs> I would have covered it so much better because I would have tried to show, Hey, there's this great big, beautiful Valley. And right there, there's this road where this, this river kind of chokes off into a canyony kind of rocky. And it's a corridor for wildlife to travel. And that's right where this thing happened. And I mean, I could have just set the whole scene, but I was such a noob at shooting video and I was such a newbie at, well, at that point you didn't shoot anything but a portrait. You know, nobody was shooting wildlife with a wide angle lens. You just, you either had a 500 or a 600 or a 300, two eight with a two X or whatever it was. Cause all anybody ever wanted was a portrait. Like it would have been so awesome to have small animal and big, huge landscape, but oh, I yeah. didn't even think about that back then. Yeah. I've <laughs> experienced something somewhat similar in Denali. I think at this exact same spot in 2010 but i was telling you guys at that time i had just purchased i think a 70 and a 70 to 300 and they were much further out from the bridge area and that i immediately went out and bought a 500 after that because i was like <laughs> i had none of these pictures you know they were unintentionally a small animal <laughs> in a landscape just because of my equipment limitations but yeah, we had some issues with park service and that sort of thing, but it's it's such incredible a dance experience. For the park service, yeah. And I've never seen—I don't even know if I've seen a wolf in Denali since then. You know, in like ten no. years of going there since I, yeah, I don't know if I have. But that was a mind-blowing experience. So, you telling the story, I'm reliving a lot of the memories of sitting, I think, in that same pool out and trying to convince people to let us. We had to, we were on the bus at the time, and uh, the guy would not let me out. And so I'm like, come on, please, please, please. He's like, <laughs> I'll make you a deal. I'll drive a half a mile up the road, which is like up that cutout on the mountain. And he's like, if you tell me to stop up there, I won't say no. And then we hiked all the way back and got down and kind of like hit off on the road but just try not to make ourselves too obvious and then uh they left us be for a little bit but yeah it was such a cool experience and in that case we had arrived right as the wolf had just killed the caribou in the river 
same thing where they're out in the middle of the river. They took it down and there was a bus. The first bus of the morning was there already. And as we pulled up, they were just leaving, which sucks for all those people. But um, yeah, watching the wolf, like they're just completely exhausted. Like the alpha just laid in the side of the river, just exhausted from taking down that caribou for hours. And then they would go feed. And then I think they had really young pups, so they would have to leave and come back. And then same thing, a bear caught wind and moved in and took over the kill site. But yeah, such a cool thing. The story behind the image, I mean, we were really scared about doing this and I don't know if it's going to work or if it'll be interesting, but um, everybody's got an image and we'll probably do more of this. If you guys like hearing them or if you have stories of your own that you'd love to share or something really cool, you know, we could always bring some other people on here to give their stories to, especially some of the older stories. Yeah, I think that's the goal. Yeah. There's got to be plenty of photographers. Well, we I know several photographers that I think have those lifer images that we definitely would mm-hmm. like. It'd be cool to get them on. Let Absolutely us know done. if you like it. <laughs> we'll do more of them. I got a couple others that we could do. I got another one that's probably, it's a fun story. I don't have a ton of images leading up to it, but the people involved in the image we got is pretty spectacular, but how we got that image is kind of crazy. Yeah. <laughs> The, you know, the knowledge that it took to get that image, which is not, it's not anything special. It's not anything that anybody else couldn't have done. It just happened and it was perfect. And it's kind of a fun story to tell. It'll be a lot shorter than this one. All right. What, what, Brandon, uh, you, uh, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, do you, is the online store live and ready to go? You're still, you know, I'm close. I want okay. to, uh, I want to check a few things. Yeah, okay. But I, said, I, don't know. I went off on a, a big... Oh, we can talk about it because, I mean, they'll get to it at some point. Being that one of our first stories on the podcast was about Sasquatch and Michael's um, need to fulfill conspiracy theory and hoaxes <laughs> by perpetuating images of it, I felt it was only fitting that we use Bigfoot is our first truth and legend design. So I went out there and designed a bunch of Bigfoot shirts. They're like second grade level, not kindergarten level. So (laughs) work with me on this, but I'm in the process of getting that all fulfilled. I just need all the back office stuff now. So how, so like when, um, so this, this might be interesting for some of you all that are thinking about websites and YouTube and all this stuff. In order for like me to design a shirt and get you guys a shirt, it's like a day of work because you got to get the design. You got to find your account. You got to link it to your store. You got to fulfill the store. If you're going to drop ship it, you can do it that way. But then you got to figure out a way, like in our case, we're going to drop ship it. You need to have an account link to the drop shipper so they can debit your card for the merchandise to then get it shipped out. And then you got to figure out what margins are. You don't want to overcharge people because then they just aren't going to buy your $50 t-shirt. Right. So it's just like this whole foray into things that I just don't know, which is pretty much a theme of, yeah, yeah, it's like the (laughs) theme of my life this past year. It's like, yeah, that's perfect. What don't I know? So yeah, that that's where we're at. But I think, I don't know. Well, maybe by the time you guys are listening to this podcast, or watching on YouTube, 
it might be live. So we'll we'll have to do a short and update it. But and if if it is, maybe I'll have to re-record this and put my fat face on the screen and say, actually, it's, yeah, we'll, it's live. <laughs> we'll keep you updated next time. <laughs> yep. 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 Cool. But we're working. Hats, shirts, uh, patches, all the good stuff. You had a glass in there too, right? Yeah, glasses. Yeah, like a little tumbler or well, something. Insulated. That's mainly for me, so I can just drink my beer out of it. <laughs> you know. Yep, I can upgrade my. When yeah, like a, right? Alaska yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, when going through uh, merchandise, instead of, hey, would this work? I just think of, what would Brandon do? And it was, well, I drink beer, so I need a glass. I need a vest. So yeah, Columbia vest. Although I couldn't do like screen printing because it's fleece, so you had to do embroidery. So there's like all these little yeah, intricacies that... Merchandising is a whole other world. Yeah. It yeah. is a Columbia vest though? It's a Columbia vest. And it's embroidered? And what what was the price on that? Um, it wasn't know. bad, I thought. No, like I'm not, I'm not trying to gouge anyone. It's not a thousand dollar vest. No, I want to say let's see, Columbia Feast was forty nine fifty. Yeah, that's not bad. Yeah, you can get it in navy. You can get it in charcoal heather. It's got an embroidered Truth and Legend Productions on the. We couldn't get rid of the Columbia logo, so you got Columbia and Truth and Legend logo, but it's awesome. You can wear it as like a mid layer. I love wearing a vest for like mid layers. It's a thing. Well, I mean, if people want to pursue the perfect bear trip, they could come with us, right? Yeah, we still have spots available. Yeah, we got one or two, right? We definitely want to get anybody interested in going on a bear trip. Come out with us. And all that stuff's on the website. So you just look under photo tours, I think is what we called it. Mm -hmm. And you get all the particulars on it. It's a little on the higher end pricey side but the cool thing is is we're living on a boat and we have remote access and we're on the boat and we're right next to the bears everywhere we go and you're 90 percent guaranteed to get shots that are you can't get anywhere else all right is there any other housekeeping issues that we need to do um check out the tours if you're interested in doing a bear trip because that's going to fill up fast and if you want to go check that out um, the store will be live in a couple of weeks. So if you're interested in buying any t-shirts or whatever, that'll be there. Let us know if this is this sort of storyline is of interest where we do the story behind the image. I could see us doing one of these a month, which would be kind of cool. Um, is that it? Yep. All right. Who's going to so, give us the out on this one? <clears throat> I think it's your turn. My turn. I just talked the whole dang thing. I think people are tired of hearing me talk. <laughs>